Hey, I'm Michael Durinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 128 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. All right. Oh, my word. It's so late and I'm so tired. I'm an old man. I'm an old man, Michael. I'm at the end of my, you know, my golden years. Yep. I just don't, don't got much left in me. You're only a year older than me, I you? Dude, you ever, years. do you ever feel that way though? Do you ever feel like, oh my gosh, the kids are just sucking the, the life out of me, bro? Uh, not the kids. No, I don't. What what I don't understand is no matter to, no matter what time they go to sleep or what time they wake up, they have the same level of energy from the moment yeah. they wake up until the yeah. moment they go to sleep. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they do that. And it's not like they're like their energy gradually goes down. It's like. They're awake, 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 asleep mm. like that. It's not to that's 100 how... until bedtime. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's a battery that's like that, right? I mean, like there's yeah. a certain type of battery that's like that. Like yeah. uh, they're not the old, uh, you know, the old like double A cell batteries. They're like those lipo yeah. batteries that like go 100% yeah, yeah. until they die. Until there's nothing left. That's right. Yeah, and it's, exactly. It's funny. Like as soon as you get Eli into his bedroom, he like, well, he carries on a little bit, but then... Like when he's in his room, he knows it's bedtime. Liv, we're trying to kind of get her into sort of settling herself and getting herself to sleep at the moment. Because we used to go in there and it'd be like a 30, 45 minute ordeal. Yeah. When she'd yeah. be looking for any excuse to like, yep, exactly. I want to cuddle, I'm I want to sit in the rocking chair, I want to get into bed, bathroom. I want a bottle. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the things. The whole thing. So we're, what we've been doing for the, like the last I don't know, three, four weeks, I guess, is we go in there, we do like the routine, we sing the songs, we do the bottle. Yep. We say goodnight and yep. we just walk out. Yep. There you go. Um, And like her screaming has reduced from like 60 seconds to about 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Like she'll, pretty she'll yell at you as soon as you get up to leave. So. Sure. And we're doing it in the middle of the night as well. Like it's rare now, but every now and then she'll wake up in the middle of the night and she wants a bottle. So bottle, sit with her for a bit and say goodnight and then, you know, check out. Because, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you don't want to be sitting oh around gosh. for 45 totally. minutes. Yep. I remember and, those And days, the thing man. is she'll... She complains like when I leave for about 10 seconds. By the time I get back to my room, she's, she's done. Asleep. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I used to have one kid who would wake up every night in the middle of the night. Every night. I don't know what it was. Every single night. Mm-hmm. Basically, just walk in there. Just wanted to see you. Just, hey. Yeah. And then go back to bed. I would pick him up, give him a hug, lay him back down, go right to sleep. It was just funny. Yeah. 2 a.m. every day. 2 a.m. Yeah. Um, It was funny tonight. We were reading a story before bed. I mean, we have this mm-hmm. big, like, uh, I don't know. It's this kid's Bible book thing. It's really, it's actually amazing, these illustrations and stuff. But we read the story of David and Goliath tonight, which was funny if you know anything about that story or whatever. David kills mm-hmm. Goliath, whatever. So Harrison, my youngest, my wife is coming home from the store and he he wants me so badly to tell her, he said, tell mommy that I'm dead. Just tell her I'm dead. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, tell her you killed me. I'm like, I'm not going to tell her that I killed you. He's like, got this, you know, David Goliath, David killed Goliath. He's he's thinking kill, death, whatever. He's like, just he's like, just just tell her I'm dead. Just please tell her I'm dead. <laughs> so she goes up the stairs. I was like, don't freak out. I was like, this is a weird request, I know, but I'm gonna tell you Harrison's dead. Just don't react. So she's like, okay, like, hey, so I don't know what happened. I think Harrison's dead. And so and he thought that was hilarious. So <laughs> that was his that was his thing tonight. And then he went to sleep. He was fine. But yeah, it's kids, a, man. They come up with the craziest thing. I know, weird, weirdo. He's probably, he probably gets <clears throat> we, it from me. We get, yeah, well, we're getting to that stage where because Eli's at childcare, you know, he's getting he's getting older and he's around older kids, and obviously, you know, you can't control 
what other kids say sure, or sure, do sure. Or, or their parents. Has he learned any else, fun so. new words? We think so. Yeah. He like came in the other day and I'm pretty sure he's like, you're a, you're a fuckhead. And Ree and I both looked at each other and we're like, did he say what we think he just said? And you're not going like, to ask him to repeat angry. it. You're like, no, 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 not at all. Yeah, right. Of course. We, like, but you know, he, he wasn't no idea angry what or upset. He's just repeating no, what he, he hears. Just yeah. came in and says that. We're like, yep. All yep. right. All right. Well, welcome to Australia, mate. Yeah. That's hilarious. I'm like, yeah, it's, it, you know, there are worse things, but. Sure. Don't don't put we're, him around Aaron. Don't put him around Aaron. You know, <laughs> we know how that goes. But Aaron was here on the weekend. We had a barbecue. Oh, it was it was actually really good. We caught up. I was talking to one of my friends, one of the guys I used to work with back in like, and, and we figured out like it's been ten years since I left that job. Dang. And I'm like, That's man, crazy. I've had like four jobs. Three since jo- I yeah, left there. four jobs since then. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, we haven't seen anyone since Australia Day of 2020. That was the last time we had a barbecue where we had friends. Oh, nice. You know, yeah. that, that group of friends over. So, so do you actually throw shrimp on the barbie? Do you actually do that? No shrimp. Never. No shrimp. Never. No. Never see on barbecue. No. Prawn. No. Not even prawn. No. We did. Uh, we had some lamb chops. We had some uh, marinated chicken steaks. Throw another chop sausages. on the barbie. We have snacks. We have snacks. You know, sausages um, on the barbecue. Those. Oh, okay. Snacks. Okay. Um, are those and, like bratwurst? Uh, uh, no, these are just like cheap and nasty, you know, mystery meat pork sausages. <laughs> We call them barbecue sausages, but it's like mystery meat. It's whatever Snacks. they've got. And a okay. bit of sawdust, you know, just throw it in there. <laughs> um, uh, just to weird. thicken it up a bit. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and we had some bacon. <clears throat> there yeah. you go. And it was, it was good, you know, just bacon. to... No, never. Uh, but, you know, it was just nice to, you know, see people that, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, some of them here and there over the last three years, but this was the first time that we'd gotten everyone together um, in... Yeah, almost three years now. So it was it was nice to to do that. It's nice to still be in touch after all these years as well. For sure, for sure. Hey, yeah. um, I'm trying to remember last time exactly. Did we talk about validation stuff? Like where we where we were going to validate? I'm trying to remember exactly what we talked about last time. We were going to talk about value objects, and I think we actually ended up talking about like uh, encrypted stuff. That's what we did. We talked yeah. about encrypted yeah. stuff, like encrypted credentials. Yeah. Um, let me kick off on that real quick. So. Um, yeah, we talked about how Laravel ships with, uh, I think it's like 9.24. You can do encrypted credentials uh, like your env.local uh, or whatever, whatever, which is really cool. Um, we were going to be switching to 1Password specifically for the purpose of having the ability to pass down credentials from 1Password down to developers. And we're yeah. not even going to do that anymore because of these encrypted credentials, which is pretty cool. I'm really stoked about it, actually. Um, we've yet to do it <laughs> on, on an app yet. But I know the first one I'm going to do it on, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, so that was that. Uh, but then we decided we were going to talk about value objects this time because we didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to get around to them last time. So we're going to talk about value yeah. objects a little bit today. Um, and there was one other thing that I was going to talk to you about, but I don't remember what it was. But that's okay. Not a problem. Um, I have a thing. You have a thing too? Okay. So what do we want to talk about first? We want to talk about value objects, or do we want to talk about your other thing? Let's talk about value objects first. Okay, let's talk about value objects. So I think the to, to lead into this, where this had kind of gotten started was we talked about the different layers of your application. So you have like from the outside coming in, you have the request which comes in and it sort of hits the framework layer, right? Um, so you have, or, or the application layer is what you might call it. So 
the framework picks up, boots up, handles that request, starts in on the application. And in Laravel, that's meaning it's going to go through the routes, it's going to go through the middlewares, it's going to go through the controller, it's going to go to your form request, it's going to validate. And then at that point, it's going to get into the method of your controller, right? Um, and so that's typically how that process is going to go. So all that stuff that happens before that point is sort of your application or your framework layer. And then from there, you sort of enter this service layer, uh, which is where you maybe do translating from uh, values that are coming in from the request to um, objects that are... So like on the outside, you, you, you validate like type and shape. So I want it to be of this type and it should be in this shape. These are the keys that are typically request or, you know, uh, required, right? And from there, you have the service layer, which sort of uh, converts things into value objects, right? Is where we were, I think, kind of where we landed last time. We said um, it maybe enforces some type safety sort of stuff where, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we have one of these three types of, um, you know, if you're trying to make a payment, you can pay with a credit card or you can pay with a checking account or you can pay with a savings account right maybe so you have an e-number or something that represents a payment yeah. type and it has those three things right so that's a value object and then you have your domain layer which is sort of like where you handle your business logic so all your value objects have already been validated right your outside layer the application layer has validated the types and shapes your service layer has validated the value objects and so they now actually have some um you know some meat to them i suppose and then in your domain mm-hmm. layer you're actually doing your business logic so things like um they have a uh, if it's a credit card then we have to have a cvv and if it's a bank or that's a terrible example maybe if it's a bank account and they're uh, withdrawing money or something we have to make sure that their balance is greater than the amount that they're trying to withdraw right business logic sort of stuff happening at the domain layer um yeah so specifically, like where you do your validation, right? It's kind of like how we had started that conversation. Now, mm-hmm. there is a lot more to it probably that you delved into. Uh, and there was a couple, you know, you had another podcast with um, Eric. Um, you sent a video to me, so you had watched some stuff. So anyway, I'm just curious, starting from the journey that we started at, what was sort of some of your investigation and what are the things that you learned and what are some things that you're going to be doing moving forward? Um, I think I think the the main crux of that, conversation that i had with eric was was just sort of talking about the differences the main differences between data transfer objects mm-hmm. and value objects and when you might might use one or the other so to, yeah, to sort of rehash that mm-hmm. to, yeah. to kind of rehash that a little bit the data transfer object is typically when when stuff is entering or leaving your application okay at like at the earliest stage to get it into some kind of domain model mm-hmm. now the the data transfer object may encapsulate value objects. You know, mm-hmm. you might okay. receive an address as like line one, line two, suburb state, postcode. Sure. You may then cast that either to another DTO or to a you know an address value object within your application, and then pass that around within your application. Um, and then like you know going the other way around, you could construct something from an address and then and then shoot it out. I think. We kind of landed on on the distinction being that like one of them typically has like methods, okay, and and the other one like you might have some business level methods in the value object, okay. whereas in the in the DTO you typically now I I mean I don't follow any rules I'm a I'm a wild child so I'll put methods you know wherever it makes sense um, in the context of the application but I think that's generally the delineation we we kind of talked about you know not not doing 
validation of business logic inside of a value object. You'd kind of want to make sure that that things are validated one level above that. Okay. So, you know, and then the value object itself is responsible for validating the shape of that data. You know, hmm. an address must have a line one, but it doesn't necessarily have a line two. Okay. You know? So line one, line one must not be null. But, you know, as far as what goes into line one, you don't care necessarily. Um, mm mm-hmm. You know, suburb must be, or, or state must be like one of these three, you know, and you could encapsulate that with, with an enum and things like that. So it's, um, it's they're, still they're very, very fuzzy similar. to me. It's still very fuzzy it is, to me. It is very yeah. fuzzy. Yeah. So and, I, and think, the, I think the key is like DTO is going into and out of the app. Okay. And the value object is kind of within your app. Okay. So it seems a little bit to me like DTOs are still concerned mostly with types and shape, right? Like if I know that I'm going to be passing a DTO from one place to another place, I can expect that it has these properties with these types on it, right? Mm-hmm. So I get yeah. type hinting and I can reliably expect that this object, which has this type, is going to have these things on it, right? So Type right. and shape, I guess, DTO. You're either passing that around or like you might have said, like, you know, if you're if you're re- responding with like some um, some JSON resource object or something, maybe that's like a DTO on your way out. Like I'm tr- I'm creating mm. it into this little object, which is responsible for, you know, transforming to an array or to JSON, something, something, right? Maybe something yeah. like that. That's a DTO. And then yeah. a value object, I might say in that case is more concerned possibly with some domain logic now not necessarily the actual applying of the domain stuff but like maybe a good example would be something like a coupon code not a coupon Mm -hmm. code a discount amount right something Mm -hmm. like that Um, this is i use this example because kai used this in his talk when he was talking about this in laricon online and i thought this was Mm -hmm. a really good example so he's like okay typically we're going to pass a discount amount to a um you know shopping cart and you have a shopping cart uh, discount with amount or discount by amount or sorry, discount. And then you pass in a discount amount, something sort of deal. Right. And typically we would say, uh, okay, well, that's just like an integer value, right? I can, I mean, we could just pass like discount, whatever, or a percentage or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Right. And you just pass that in there and you're away you go. No problem. Um, however, what he said is a lot of times what you'll find is inside of that place where you're doing the discount right inside that method, you're going to have a couple checks, right? Your check is going to be is this an integer? You know? Yep. And then your next check is going to be, uh, is it positive? And then your next check is going to be, is it less than 100%? Right? Because mm-hmm. we don't want to give more than 100% discounts, right? So you have right. these sort of like checks inside of that method where you're yep. going to be applying that discount. And so what his idea was, instead of like when you have that sort of logic in there, he said that's sort of a smell that you might want to turn that integer there into a type instead. And that to me represents sort of a value object. So what you'd have is you'd have shopping cart discount and you'd have new discount amount, and then you'd pass in an integer to that something. And what that does is that discount amount value object handles the logic for what is a valid discount amount. That discount amount represents that idea of it must be an integer. It must be uh, greater than zero. It must be mm-hmm. less than 100. And maybe we could say 
it has to be it like, you know, maybe there's one other piece to it or something, but that value object now encapsulates the logic for what actually accounts for a valid discount amount. And now that discount method, knowing that it has a valid discount amount doesn't ever have to check to see if that's happening there. Right. Um, so that was a really good example to me for like what the difference between maybe a DTO is and a value object. A DTO is like, here's a collection of things that we're going to package up together and ship around. And a value object is here's a discrete piece of information that we have validated with, you know, some internal rules um, that maybe have some sort of, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily feel like business logic. It more feels like these sort of conditions that you would have to check before you would apply them. Um, you know, just these little guards, I suppose, right. that you can then... Because anywhere, anywhere that you're then using it, you already know that that is correct. valid. You, know, you don't, you don't have correct. to check, well, is this value, you know, between zero and 100? Is this, you know, is it an integer and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, like the um, same thing would and be then, like, like with a province or a state or a, uh, you know, whatever. Right. I don't know what you guys call them. You said suburb. Suburb state, yeah. Suburb state, yeah. So like yep. state, yep. like state's a good example, right? And so like in, instead of having to validate that it's, uh, you know, it's an abbreviation, two characters, uppercase, and then you have to check, you know, you could just say new state, and then now you have a state. That's for sure. It's a good mm-hmm. state. That's the object type that it is. Because um, right. then, you know, once it gets into the like innards of your application to the persistence layer and things like that, you know, when you're writing it to the database, you know, all of it is valid in a, an invalid state anyway. Totally. Um, you know, you with, with a discount amount, you'd have some level of business logic validation above that. Or beneath that, I guess. Once you have established that you have a valid discount amount, you need to make sure that, you know, if it's like a dollar amount, you're not going to discount. Maybe it's part of your business rules that you can't discount into credit, or you know, is the is the account eligible for discounts? Like if yeah, it's a sure, zero exactly. dollar a month, like exactly that kind right. of stuff would then live outside of that layer. Absolutely right. Yes. So it's a valid discount amount. But whether or not it can be applied, it's an Apple product. We can't apply discounts to an Apple product because it's an Apple product. And Apple never allows you to discount them as a retailer right. or whatever, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. That's the business layer. But the value object layer, right, that service layer of translating a, a you know, request value coming in a from primitive. the outside. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Our admin panel allowed us to send in an integer. We, ref- we, we checked that, you know, when we're creating a new discount amount, it, it has to be an integer and it has to be, a you know it's a required value when we're when we're at this mm-hmm. spot in the but that's all it validates and then the next layer says okay now these rules have to apply in order for it to be a valid discount amount okay then then we go through it right then but when it's getting tried to get applied to a shopping cart then the business logic is saying okay is the product that's it trying to be applied to apple and if it is apple then we can't apply the discount code but that doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with the fact that the discount code is a valid amount you know right so yeah and then yeah in in like a laravel context that gets a little bit murky because you might have your, well, not murky really, but you might have your Laravel validation, your mm-hmm. request validation yeah, right. say, I need to have a value here. Like the discount amount is required and you might just then take that value as long as it's present and shove it into the value object. And the value object is then responsible for applying the business level logic to that. You know, is it is it an integer? Is it between zero and a hundred? And then it can throw a validation exception if, you know, if it doesn't meet the criteria, because that will then bubble up back to the HTTP layer and you can send that yeah. back out and say, so, you know, this thing is yeah. invalid. That is um, that is the balancing act. 
right? That is the that is the part right. that I'm finding really difficult. And I've how much how much is in your request validation versus how much is in your value object validation? Yes. The the I mean the benefit of putting it into the value object is that you can then use that value object Everywhere. anywhere in your application. Yeah, exactly. You can use it from an artisan command. You can use it in the context of you know a job that's fired within your application. You could use it in Tinker. You know if if you like doing some tinkering about and you and you pass it oh no we don't want an integer we want a, a discount amount to come through here um and then you might pass it like a float of like 32.5 and and then you've got some assurance there that that's going to be you know kicked back in a consistent way everywhere in your application so yeah i mean yeah, so it's, uh, yeah and this is where it's like you know how much how much validation at that point do you do using laravel's tools and how much do you put in the value objects and there's like a line of complexity there there is a line in the sand of where you would start reaching for these things versus like just starting with validation and and seeing how far that gets you Mm -hmm. and that's like that's totally reasonable approach as well yeah Um, you know we've we've only just kind of started doing this stuff just because the application is getting big enough now and we kind of we pass a lot of things around between different methods and different service objects and different popos and, and whatever else where we kind of want to be able to consolidate a lot of the behaviors into one place. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, we started playing around with enums where we've got like the enums defined within the context of our platform. Yeah. But yeah. then those values that we have do not necessarily map one to one with lenders that we integrate with. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So you have to like do some translation. So we've got to do translations. And so what what we had done previously was have like two lender, like a two lender method can inside I a, our. Can I make enum. a tiny push in here about the enum? Can you specify yeah. what you mean for me when you say enum? Do you just have a class that just has constants on it that you're just using, like sort of? We're using <clears throat> we're using the the sparsy enum package. Okay. Okay. At the moment. All right. Fair. That's that's yeah, all I want because we're know. still yeah. So we're still on on PHP seven seven point four for the time being. Um, so we're using the sparsity package to to handle all that for for us. So we had like two lender, like two lender A, two lender B, but we never even got to two lender B. I kind of looked at it when we were when we were integrating lender B, and I was like, this is going to get out of hand if we have like you know ten or twenty or forty integrations. You know, there's going to be ten or twenty or forty two lender A through right. you know whatever. Let's say they're adapters, right? Yeah. So we ended up we ended up flipping that. And so we we maintain then enum objects for each of the lenders and they like their corresponding things. So we would have like a payment frequency and they would have a payment frequency. Mm-hmm. And then so we would have like from notify Interesting. in okay. the lender. So we would take our enum and we would say like lender enum yeah, colon colon from notify, pass it in our thing. And then it is then responsible for mapping that back out to the yeah, corresponding field. Sure, that makes sense. And so that may map one to one. You know, weekly may become weekly, but they may, may not do fortnightly. They may do, yeah, you know, or they might not do weekly. They might only do monthly. Yeah, sure. Um, so we would just say, okay, well, if if you give us weekly, then you know we we will say it's monthly, and then it's you know th- there's a bit of like frequency is probably an annoying one because there's more to it than just mapping the fields. If you change weekly to monthly, then you also have to change other things around it and um, marital status like de facto do you have the notion of de facto no. in the u.s no what so is de that? facto 
de facto is like when a couple are living together after six months they get classed as like a de facto relationship which is okay. effectively the same that's marriage like you um, get the, the you same get the protections and, okay. and you know legalities as as a as a married couple mm-hmm. um there, there's like a limitation to it but effectively they're, they're considered the same thing so we have like in our system it's d hyphen facto or d capital f for facto but sure. in, a, in one of our lenders it's like de facto all one word oh, and yeah, like spelled the out. f yep. is lowercase so it's it's um you know those kinds of mappings so we just say okay well here's our thing we call like that lender from notify pass it our thing and then it just spits out the corresponding in our object on the other side and then we know okay well we've got this valid thing so we just call like arrow value on it and then send that off to the lender without yep. you know having to worry about all of this manual mapping and like putting stuff into controllers you know if lender equals this then map here and all of that kind of stuff it's all kind of encapsulated and it's i think it's a it, like it's a foreign concept to most of the team that they have done it you know because a lot of what we have is very procedural code um so it's very imperative in terms of like do this and this and this and this as opposed to like what where we're trying to go so you know introducing these these concepts has kind of smooth things out a little bit which which dovetails a little bit into the thing that i wanted to talk about is that um i know that you had sam Kare on here a while yeah. ago talking about saloon yeah mm-hmm. and and i i forked his repo and then i <laughs> and then i backported it to work with php 7.4 you forked and it all i up. told him about it yeah I forked you forked it all it up, up. For sure and then i messaged him and i said so i did this and he's like, I wondered why you why you why you forked it. I thought you were going to send me a pull request. I said, no, no, I had to do unspeakable things to your code, because <laughs> um, like, good good luck you'll... pushing in any of those bug fixes that he's going to be making. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're hoping that by the time he gets v two release, we'll kind of be in a better position to upgrade. But we didn't we didn't want to hold off on using it in in our context until we'd upgraded PHP because we can't we can't stop doing this integration work while we wait for the upgrade to happen. Like we need the two to kind of go side by side. So forking it and then backporting it and then like maintaining all of the namespaces and things like that means that we can use it right now. And there was not heaps of changes. Like I used Rector over it to to kind of just do the downgrade for me anyway. And there was a couple of things that I missed that I had to do manually, but did that. And that means that, you know, once we get onto PHP 8, where we just remove like our custom our custom re- repository pointers and just say, okay, go and use, you know, V1 of that package. But, it, you know, all of this has helped us really clean up a lot of those integrations. You know, we encapsulate all of the, the outbound requests. So there's like this lender has its own little request object that takes an application record from our system and then maps it onto whatever the, the lender expects and then spits that out and sends that request. So we've like encapsulated all of that logic. And then when we get the responses back, then we're using DTOs. Mm-hmm. So that irrespective of which lender sends the response to us for a for a quote, for example, we we might send a quote request to three different lenders. Sure. And they all they all have their different outbound formats. Yep. So, so you have got, to convert to the those. Saloon, yep. Right. So we've got the Saloon request mapping our application to their formats and sending it out. Sure. When they okay. come back, we've got like these magic constructor methods that are like from lender A, from lender B, from okay. lender C. Okay. And that's the, just the to DTO give us like, has those constructor methods on it, like static right. constructors. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we've got like a, a lender quote 
request or a lender quote response object, sure. okay. which is like the abstract thing that has like a, a public static underscore underscore call static. And so okay. we can call, we can then call like lender quote response colon colon from lender name. Yeah. And then and by then the power of the convention. Class. Okay, sure. Right. Yeah. By the power of convention, it goes and finds the corresponding class, instantiate it. And then we call, you know, that. It Pass then goes, the okay, I know, yeah. I know how to take this this response object um, or the response JSON from from the saloon request, map that back into to, a DTO response. Into yeah. a, a DTO that is exactly the same. Doesn't matter which lender it comes back from, the format's the same, the properties are always the same, the data's always the same. Um, it's all in the same shape. And like, you know, one lender may send us back these fields and another one might not, but we know that we can safely access them as though they are there. Yes. Yep. Irrespective of work. And that that's really where the DTO becomes super useful is that it's not like it's totally fine to do a one-to-one mapping. Like one request goes out, one response comes back, and then we get it into this object. And that gives you the type safety, the auto-completion, all of that stuff. So you, you know, you don't fall into the trap of typos and things like that. But in, in this scenario, we could have 50 different integrations that all come back and we know that we've only got one way of accessing them. So when we have to add a new integration, we write the new connector, we write the new like response DTO, and then we just map that like given this fixture of data that comes back from the API, make sure that we have an object that looks like this um, and that the values are where we expect them to be. And so, you know, we never really need to change the test on on our sort of side of the, the application boundary. Yeah. We only ever really need to write the new integration and the test based on the fixture for the new the new lender. And as long as that side works, we've already got the tests on our side that say that given the values that we expect are yep. there mm-hmm. in this DTO, the, everything just, on this side like is always going to work. Right. Yeah. You just do a fixture for that. Yeah. So you just grab the response and sort of the fixture and then test like that the transformer works essentially. Or the adapter, yep. I guess. Essentially. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, this gives us the I mean, the way that we were doing it basically meant copying and pasting and duplicating and and doing all of this stuff and then mapping everywhere and then like all of the field names were different. So we had to, you know, and end end result is the same, but it's just it's just gonna make it so much quicker and easier for us to do these mappings. Because we already know that irrespective of where the response comes from, it's this always going to be in the same like. shape. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. And so, you know, we only ever have to focus on the eccentricities and, you know, the variations within the, the specific integrations and never, unless we change, you know, how we structure stuff. But it also means that we're only changing in one place as well. So that makes it really, really useful. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just I wanted like to, Yeah give a shout out to because ever since i saw that that project and ever since you spoke with sam about it on on the on the podcast i'm like i need to find a, a reason to use this and we were just you know we're trying to figure out how to shoehorn it in yeah. and then as these these lender integrations started to ramp up we went and refactored between last thursday and today so and not even today yesterday we shifted to production so we we refactored three um, integrations in the space of you know two days and got it into production and no known side effects so far. Nice man, and That's nice. And the benefit the benefit being that that it's all tested now as well, so we know yeah, that feels great. Yeah, you know, makes me feel much more comfortable. I said because you know we can do this, but it means that like every time we change something, we need to go on through. You know, it's three lenders now. It'll be you know five lenders by the end of the month. It'll be ten lenders by the end of the year. 
like that's that's a lot of surface area to have to go and test yeah, manually. Yeah. You know, ten lenders and then twenty lenders and then fifty lenders, you know, over time. So absolutely. This this gives me much more confidence in what we've got. I love it. That's great. So th- thank you, Sam. And when we get onto PHP eight, sometime in the next three, four, five Decades. months. Oh, sorry. um <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a shorter term thing. Because, you know, PHP, even PHP 8.1 is going to be out of active support in the next month or so. So No, 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 no. PHP 8.1 is going to be out of active support? Is that or 8.0? Support? No. 8.0 will be out of bug php.net releases. So we've got, we've got 8.1 has active support until November of 2023. <clears throat> oh, it's next year. Active until next year. Okay. Yeah, 8.0 is, has active support. 8.0 has active support until 26 of November 2022. Right, right, security right. support yeah, no. until 2023. Yeah, our yeah. goal is to be on 8.1 by the end of the year. So, I think I think if we can get to 8 in the next couple of months, then getting to 8.1 is going to be fairly straightforward. I think that's the truth. I think that's the truth. I think that honestly, most of our stuff for like 8.1 is going to be like update our local update composer to be like 8.1. PHP 8.1 and then run composer mm-hmm. update and then ship it. I think that's about yeah. it. It's going to be it. Like, I don't like all the packages. And it, actually, Jason McCurry has that, like, can I upgrade or can I update sort of deal where mm-hmm. you just paste in your composer.json and it basically tells you, yep, you're good to go. All the packages yeah. that you're asking about already support it. And that was the big thing jumping from seven to eight was like, you know, a, a major version release like that. Like, most of them didn't have that. Most of them didn't yeah. have that. And it's the yeah. same problem when you're jumping from Laravel 8 to Laravel 9 is like most of them don't have, you know, you can't put, you know, what is that? That caret symbol 8.0. You, you like, if they don't have that with 9, even if like none of the APIs that they're using have changed, you just can't upgrade until they do it. And so it just takes yeah, a while. So, that's right. But from 8 yeah. to 8.1, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. So no. Yeah. No, most, most of that. I mean, I know that there was a lot of breaking changes for Laravel when they were doing the upgrade. But I think, you know, they got that all, like most of the breaking changes were, were like in the framework level. I don't think we're going to have too many issues in, in application land yeah. um, beyond like weird deprecations. But okay. I think most of the deprecations that we will face will be going 7.4 to 8. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But I'm looking forward to the niceties that we'll get as a result. Oh, dude. Um, I love you know. named constructors. Those are sweet. Uh, or not named constructors, sorry. Named um, arguments. Named arguments and then property promotion in constructors. Yeah. That's really handy. Those yeah. two things are the biggest. Because the amount of, yeah, amount of times that I have time. to like do, you know, do the dance where you've got to add the property, then you've got to add the thing to the the constructor, and then you've got to yeah. add like the assignment inside the constructor. I mean, like, thankfully, just... like your IDE or depending on how you have it set up in Vim, you know, you kind of like pop it in there and it says, you know, like populate and just push yeah. it all the places. Yeah. But it is nice to not have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I will say we've had to figure out sort of some convention around like, okay, what if we have both? What if we have properties that are in the constructor that are public, but then we have ones that sort of need to be assigned after the fact. It's just like a little bit weird. And so it's sort of like, do you do mi- both? Do you mix them? Do you do one or the other? Yeah, I don't know. We haven't necessarily yeah. landed on I it. mean, you can. You, know, you can do both. Be... You can do both. It's you can, fine. 100%. It's just a little bit weird. Okay. Hey, one other thing I wanted to talk about here. So back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back real quick to that idea of the validation stuff that we were talking about. So I feel like you get the most value the further you push that stuff down because you can use it across different locations, right? Like you were talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. The further you push the stuff down, the more value you get sort of deal. The problem is 
passing it back to the outside, right? The reason why it's so tempting to do everything in like a form request is because you just get validation returns for free. Everything's just free. If you're at that layer and you're returning it back, it's like it all just handles it. It adds it to the error bag. It adds the error message. You don't have to handle any of that crap. It just does it for you, right? Which is really nice. So the problem is the further down you push it, the more you have to do to translate it back on the other side, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to sort of know all the things that you're going to be constructing as value objects further down the list, and you have to catch those up at the controller level so you can return a good response to the front end is the challenge, right? The thing I was actually thinking about here, what you might be able to do, I don't know if, I don't know if you'd want to do this, but you can make like custom rules, you know? Mm-hmm. You can make like custom validation rules. So if you knew you were going to be translating a particular item to a particular value object, I wonder if you almost had like a property on your value object that referenced the rule that you were going to use that sort of had those validation rules Mm. in it. I wonder if you could do something like that where you said, well, you know, I mean, what else is there going to be that the valid that Laravel validation doesn't actually already have a rule for, right? So yeah. let's take that particular discount amount, for example, right? Integer. There's, I think there's one for that. Uh, must be greater than zero. I think you could do that. Like min zero mm-hmm. or min, you know, whatever. Can't be greater than a hundred. I think you could do that. Like those validation yeah. rules do exist already. Would there be a way, like you could almost, I mean, you really could almost say, here is the rule array that I want to apply for this particular thing. And then the value object, you could just almost use the value object inside of that validation layer to say, well, use the Mm -hmm. validation rule for this particular type because I'm going to later be doing this anyway. So go ahead and validate it up at the top for me. And I could, you could do it later too, if you wanted to, you could Mm -hmm. do it in both places. It's just that you're going to catch it up in the top layer. So you don't have to do as much translation all the way through. I was just thinking about that as we were talking about it. Now, the thing about that is it sort of couples you to the framework of your choice. So, I mean, like, again, mm. it's like you have to you have to sort of pick a lane here. And it does feel a little bit more pure to not be doing something like that. But the benefits that you get from it might be worth the trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, we've certainly done that. You know, with, with these request objects, for example, we, we have like a base, like an abstract parent class, super class, okay. I guess Form you'd call class, it. Base class, okay. Um, <clears throat> which declares an abstract... No, it declares a protected function rules that returns an array. And by default, it will return an empty array. And then in the constructor of this thing, it will call this validate. And this validate is basically just a a, a wrapper for validator colon colon validate this arrow to array comma this arrow rules. And so, you know, if there are no rules and it's an empty array, then it's always going to pass validation. And if... Yeah, and then each thing is responsible then after construction of defining its own two array. So it would then return like key value, key value, key value of what that two array looks like. And we just pump that straight back into the validate method. So it's it's kind of like, yes, it is coupling us to the framework and all of that quote nasty stuff, but we, we're using the framework. We're going to use the framework tools. You know, you could do it yourself. You could, you know, do the checks and, and do all of this stuff manually. Do whatever works for you. You know, we're not we're not gonna stop using Laravel anytime soon. So I'm I'm comfortable doing that kind of stuff, but and and leveraging the framework tools, you know. And as I said, you get that validation on the command line. If you were calling it directly and you, if you stuff something up, 
then you've got it straight away. You know, you get the validation exception back. If if you instantiate something with bad data in a HTTP request, the validation exception will bubble up. You'll get a JSON response back with the errors in it. You you may want to, you know, consider how you format those things because like an incorrect value, especially if you're instantiating a number of value objects and one of them fails, it might be a bit murky as to which one of them failed sure, with, yeah. you know, an invalid bit of data. Yep. But, you know, having all of that kind of stuff in there and, and leveraging the existing tools and embracing those conventions means that you're going to get a lot further, a lot quicker than, you know, doing all of that stuff by hand. You know, doing a if dollar value greater than equal to zero, if dollar, you know, and then figuring out what the bespoke validation looks like. Like, do you just throw throw an invalid, invalid argument exception yeah, and that sure. bubbles up mm-hmm. in a different way? You know, in Tinker, it's obvious because like you as a developer is in there, you, you're dealing with it. In Artisan, it's probably okay, but that bubbles up in a different way in in a HTTP request. You know, that's just going to come back as a, as a 500 to your user, I'm pretty sure, because it's an, it's a, it'll be an uncaught exception. Correct, yes. So they're going to get a 500 server error. You'll get something in your log file, but that doesn't help the user correct whatever was wrong. And And I suppose, you know, you would then have to decide, okay, well, if this is the kind of thing that could be an invalid argument exception, maybe that is your is your signal that that should be that should be part of your HTTP validation. Yeah, I mean, you could even throw like a custom exception if you wanted to, right? You could just be like, you know, domain, just I don't know, whatever you want, however you wanted to call it. Sure. But yeah, you could catch it up yeah. at the top level and um, and and do that. Too. There's there's a number of different ways to do it, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, the goal hopefully would be that you know most of the time you're not going to get down that low and have it throw an error. You could. Uh, but hopefully not. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's another adventure for another time. Uh, but yeah, yep. there's there's we've got some really solid examples with that that are very difficult things to to determine. And if you try and do it all in the form request, you're just asking for trouble. Like you actually yeah. have to like or you know it means duplication duplicating that validation everywhere. Like yeah. if you you are accepting a discount amount in two different places, well you've got to duplicate that validation that request validation whereas if you if you funnel it down into the value object well you only've got to, you've only got to do it in that one place so yeah it's freaking tough because like with the one in order for us to check validation like we actually have to hit an api like it's, it's insane mm-hmm. right like yeah. I mean, we have to like, do it twice like we have to do it when we're creating the front end because we want to show the user hey by the way this is your minimum amount that you can pay like you have mm-hmm. to pay at least this much. And to know that we actually have to grab a value from an API. So it's like, we have to do it on the front end. And then once they submit it through, you have to do it again because you can't just take their word for it, that it worked. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they, they didn't like modify the the request in some way that's coming mm-hmm. through your front end validation worked great. Like you can't trust that. So you have to do it a second time. So you can make mm-hmm. that API request, like in the form request, like that's a nasty way to do it. Like, so yeah, it's just weird. I don't know. It's just weird. So as we're talking about it, I'm almost thinking about a different way to do it, which is sort of weird. But like, if on the page create, like when they went to create the page, I actually created a transaction record at that point and sort of pre-populated that with the values that I'm going to have to check afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then they sent, like, if I didn't wait for them to submit the form, but created a transaction initially, and then on the, on the way back through when they submitted it, I could just, my check would be super easy because I'd basically just say like, does it fall within the acceptable range based on what I created originally in the database? That'd be a really easy mm-hmm. way to do it. So I wouldn't have to do it twice. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, but you might run into edge cases there as well. Yeah, where, that's like, true. If the payment, if the if the payment, if the transaction fails, like you probably need to mark that as failed and then create exactly. a new one yeah, to try again. Right. right. Yeah. Whereas you end up with all sort if, of weird like records that yeah. are just abandoned in your database and, then, and stuff. Right. Yeah. Orphaned. Orphaned transactions right. just sitting around there for for very like they might load the page and go, oh no, I can't do that now, and then come back later. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. Do you do you reuse that record for the next request? Like, what scenario? You know. And then you just start. Yeah, exactly. More, more questions than answers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be yeah. weird. It would be really weird. Um, you could. We have a bunch of different states on our on our transactions. I mean, you could set it as like. So we have like fresh. I think is one of them where it's like fresh is like they basically. I mean, that's that's probably the status I'd use if they arrived at the page and never did anything with it. Be like fresh. Mm-hmm. They came in. We set it up, and this is what they would have had to pay, but they never went any further. After fresh, I think it's uh, registered. And then it's like prepared and then ready and then processing and then completed or failed or whatever. So retriable. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different states we have on them. Anyway, I don't want to I don't want to go to that whole rabbit hole right now. We're at 45 <laughs> minutes, so we're going to cut this one and we're going to be done here. Hopefully this is some, some of some value to you guys and girls out there listening. Uh, we are on episode 128. So if you'd like to find show notes for the episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 128. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at North South Audio. As always, thanks to our sponsors, Joe Lennon, Work Vivo. Thank you guys for sponsoring the show. Really appreciate it. And if you like the show, rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be much appreciated. All right, folks. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye.